Hello and welcome to the Learning to Mom podcast, my mom friend. My name is Layla and I inform first-time moms on pregnancy and birth so that they can be empowered and educated without feeling overwhelmed. On today's episode, I sit down with Jackie, an OB nurse practitioner in Miami, Florida, and the founder of the Perfectly Pregnant Collective. She has an extensive history that began over 14 years ago as an RN in labor and delivery. She's a wife, mom of three, and advocate for birth preparation. Today's episode will cover questions like, how does an OB nurse practitioner differ from a midwife or an MD? Where do you see a gap in healthcare education around childbirth? How do you best prepare for birth? How do you advocate for yourself? Plus so many other questions. This episode will be really beneficial for you, my mom friend. So let's get into it. Before we jump into this week's episode, I want to make sure that you're aware of the Learning to Mom newsletter. It is such an amazing addition to your life as it's filled with content, encouragement, and insight that you won't gain from this podcast or from our Instagram account. It's unique, valuable information like pregnancy product and baby item recalls, more tips and tricks, and a new question to ask your OBGYN each and every week. This is not a newsletter where I just write about my life or like, oh, sign up for the newsletter so that you can be the first to be in the know. Like those don't serve people. So that is not the way that my newsletter is set up. This newsletter is truly set up to support you in your pregnancy. And it does just that. I swear each week in my DMs, I have women reaching out to me about how much they enjoyed this week's newsletter. And I spend time on it so that way your time isn't wasted. Sign up for the newsletter by going to the episode show notes below. Now let's dive into this week's episode. Hi, Jackie. Thanks so much for being on today to the Learning to Mom podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Layla. I'm excited to be here um, to talk about all the fun things related to childbirth. (laughs) Yes. So today we're really going to focus on um, having a positive birth experience. I know that's what you specialize in. But before we get into all of those questions, Do you mind just telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Jackie. Um, I'm a nurse practitioner in Miami, Florida. Um, I started off in labor and delivery as a nurse a little while ago. (laughs) I was there for about three years, um, became a nurse practitioner, and I've been in OBGYN for about 11 years now, or private practice, uh, seeing pregnant patients during uh, their pregnancy and then postpartum as well. Love it. Um, Yeah. And okay. So then on that, what's the difference? I'm not medical. I know possibly some mom Mm -hmm. friends of ours listening aren't medical either. So what's the difference between OB nurse practitioner, OBGYN? And midwife basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. What's that? Right. So uh, a nurse practitioner has at least a master's degree. Some have doctorate degrees. Um, and typically in OB specifically, we see patients through their whole pregnancy um, and postpartum. Um, we can also round in them in the hospital setting, depending on the hospital. Uh, midwives are trained just differently where they can do deliveries. They can basically do what I do, but they do deliveries. They cannot perform cesarean sections. OBGYN is a physician, uh, can do all of the above, including cesarean and surgery. So as a nurse practitioner, are you delivering babies? 
no, we don't, we cannot deliver babies. Okay. Mm-mm. Okay. It's like everything so, but that. <laughs> okay. I'm like imagining one of those, yeah. I don't know what there's called, those like circle things or it's mm-hmm. like you used to do in elementary school or yes, had the exactly. three, find the differences. In them. Exactly. Right. So midwives and obstetricians can deliver, nurse practitioners cannot. But it's actually funny because this whole week, this whole past week, I got asked five times if I can deliver babies. So it's kind of flattering. Um, oh, like in appointments? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So, so awesome. but you, I could go, so I get pregnant. I could yeah. go meet with you for my 40 weeks and then just an OBGYN would come in and deliver the baby. Right. Typically. So typically if you see the nurse practitioner, obviously we're with a supervising physician or OB um, who would deliver you. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, learn something new today. I love it. <laughs> now, another question that I have for you, Jackie, um, because I know that you have created a whole course to help yeah. fill the gap in healthcare education. So regarding that, where do you see a lot of birth education today going wrong? Or like, where are those large gaps that then cr- enabled you or showed mm-hmm. you like, I need to create this course? Yeah. So I find like, there's not a lot of value put on education, to be honest with you, which is unfortunate because a lot of the questions come in the last few weeks before delivery, which really shouldn't be the case. Right. And then you have a child. So I have children, you're familiar with pregnancy, brain, brain fog. We can only consume so much in a short period of time, you know, without being overwhelmed. So um, there's definitely a gap in that I think a lot of providers don't spend the time to educate their patients or refer them to the appropriate resources to get that education in advance of birth, right? Before you're looking at a due date three weeks from now, you know? Um, The other gap that I see is that there's not a lot of uh, talk about cesarean section, not a lot of talk about postpartum care. You know, it's kind of like you have a baby and you're kind of forgotten, you know, and and postpartum is probably harder than pregnancy, I would say. Um, So there's a huge gap there as well. Breastfeeding, I mean, breastfeeding is the next challenge. You know, a lot of moms are discouraged within 24 hours because they're just not educated in how to do it. So there's just so much to be taught. And I like my course because you can take it in small tidbits, right? If you're in the second trimester, you take the module on second trimester prenatal health. If you're intending to have a vaginal birth after delivery, you go over the module, you know, for natural birth, but you also have the cesarean aspect just as a refresher. Or if it's your first baby, you also should go over cesarean section just in case your provider comes to you in labor and says, Hey, this is what's going to happen. You know? Yeah. There's just a lot. (laughs) Unrelated to that, but from what you just said. So if you have a vaginal delivery, your Mm -hmm. first child, do your chances for a C-section on subsequent pregnancies go down? Yes. Oh, okay. I never knew that. Yeah, definitely. If you have a vaginal delivery, subsequent pregnancies, usually you'll labor a lot better. I mean, there are accentuating circumstances, but usually you'll labor a lot better, you know? Okay. So statistically speaking, if you have mm -hmm. a C-section, it's with the first. Typically, uh, you know, there's different, there's different scenarios, but typically, yeah, yeah, it'll be the first. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. I'm sorry. I'm just like rattling off these questions. I feel (laughs) like I have so many for you. Let's see here. Um, Okay. Back to having a positive birth experience. Mm -hmm. What are some practical tips or advice for women um, who want to have a positive birth, but Mm -hmm. may not know where to start? Okay. So first and foremost is to get a support system partner. Mm -hmm. 
involvement is key. Family, friends, mom groups, as soon as you can, just dive into that and have that there because mental health is a, a huge issue in pregnancy and postpartum. Um, so I would say that is first and foremost. Um, dietary, lifestyle, you know, your provider should be talking to you about that, about prenatal vitamins, folic acid, appropriate diet, being active during your pregnancy um, can actually promote vaginal deliveries and better labor outcomes. Um, and then, of course, having a provider that you vibe with, like you don't want to go mm -hmm. through 10 months of pregnancy and realize at the end, like, listen, what they have planned for me is not ideally what I had envisioned for my positive birth, you know, so yeah. Yeah. So that, that's kind of like the foundation, I feel like, for good prenatal health that can lead to a positive birth. Now, regarding what you just said there at mm -hmm. the end yeah. about a provider, making sure you drive with them. Yeah. When is a time if you're not driving with them, when do you switch? So I would, at the first prenatal visit, ask all the questions, like the important questions where you might okay. be six, seven weeks pregnant and your provider's looking at you sideways. Like, why are you asking about delivery? But it's so important because it's very hard to transition to another practice, at least in Miami in the third trimester, right? A lot of providers are unwilling to mm. take transfers, especially if you have any type of high risk situation going on. Okay. So what that means is that in your first prenatal visit, you want to know hey, are you going to be delivering me? Do you cross cover with other practices? How many providers are in the group? Um, what is your C-section rate? Are you an advocate for natural birth? Are you an advocate for inductions? You know, how, how long can I wait before I have to be induced? Um, all of those types of questions, you know, I find that they come up a little bit too late sometimes. Um, and patients just don't know to ask those questions. And that's normal, you know, that's normal. Yeah. But those are really important questions to ask. That actually was a question that I had for you today of yeah. what questions should we be asking in those visits? Mm -hmm. So is there any additional questions there that I just remember like yeah. sitting in the, in my, you know, little appointment chair and not even knowing what to yeah. ask. They would be like, yeah. so do you have any questions? And I would literally be like, no, I don't. Yeah. yeah. That's, and that's pretty were, standard. Yeah. <laughs> so what are those questions that I should be asking? The other questions you want to know maybe are what kind of interventions do they do, which kind of goes oh. into your birth plan, which I love okay. birth plans. I feel like they get a bad rap because birth plans are associated with you want a water birth or a natural, like, you know, hippie type birth. And that's not the case. A birth plan is just you outlining. These are some things I'm considering for myself. What are your thoughts about it? You know, mm -hmm. just for example, like IV placement, uh, fetal monitoring and labor, all of these things, it's a tool kind of to bridge that gap between provider patient communication. Um, your provider might not be gung ho for all of them, but at least you have that communication. You guys are on the same page and it gives the opportunity for discussion to happen, especially if it was like, you know, like you said, you didn't know what questions to ask. So that kind yeah. of lays the foundation for, Hey, Oh, well, why don't you do this? And this brings up, can I, you know, a diet during labor, just random questions you don't really think to ask, but they do come up. Okay. Yeah. No, that's really good. Okay. Dang. Now, so let's say we've had that conversation and then yeah. over and you're like, I am not driving well and yeah. I want to switch. Yeah. How, like, do you have to call that old provider and be like, yeah, I'm not about it. Or can you just like ghost them? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, so normally like, let's say you find a new provider you want to go to, right. They would send a medical release form to your previous provider. Um, just forwarding off the documents. It doesn't have to be this awkward situation. And, you know, if you have difficulty 
switching, then that further proves why you're switching, right? Because yeah. <laughs> you're not, you're not, you know, it's, it's a, you're going to see that provider for nine, 10 months. They're going to, it's a very intimate relationship. So if you're not getting the education you feel like you need or the support or being listened to, then that's huge. So do you not, you don't need to like call them up though and tell them, I mean, just realistically speaking, like they see so many patients. Yeah. It's not like that really. I mean, they may give you a call and say, Hey, we received a medical release form. Are you okay switching? And all you have to do is say yes. You don't have to disclose why. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully that relieved some. Yeah. I don't know, tension. I know it can yeah. just get really and I feel like what keeps women from switching is because they don't want to have that conversation right. or they feel awkward that like people pleaser. Right. They, you know, right. like Ooh. Yeah. So, I, I, and I get that because that's kind of my personality as well. I get that. But, <laughs> but you have to think of the alternative, right? And the, the risk of staying in a practice that you just don't feel comfortable in. Having a baby is yeah. a huge moment in your life and you don't want to feel uncomfortable or feel like you're not getting the support. You know, it can affect yeah. your birth experience in the end if you don't feel supported during pregnancy. Yeah, that's so true. Interrupting this episode because there's a shop that I personally want to introduce you to. If you're on the hunt for children's clothing that blends timeless style with earth-conscious choices, then I have the shop for you. Meet Happy Hollow Threads, a mama-owned and operated gem that's revolutionizing little wardrobes. From sizes 0 to 3 months to 5T and soon up to size 10, their collection offers classic earthy tones and even some festive splashes of color for special occasions. And here's the exciting news. Starting spring of 2024 collection, every charming piece will be crafted from organic U.S. milled fabric. Comfort, style, and sustainability, that's Happy Hello Threads for you. Visit their website now at happy-hollow-threads.myshopify.com. And remember, these pieces are made to order, ensuring a perfect fit for your little one at no extra cost. Just add a note at checkout like needing size 5 length but size 4 width. The link is in the episode show notes for your convenience. Let's see here. Yes. So we did talk about how one of your courses kind of, I think it was um, prenatal health, right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk quickly, just like why that is so important and some things that you can do to enhance or improve that. So with prenatal health, well, just to backtrack, the course goes over prenatal health, childbirth, postpartum, breastfeeding. Like it's kind of like an all-in-one crash course on what you need to know. First, prenatal health goes just making it a priority. I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about pregnancy, Mm -hmm. eating for two, being sedentary, bed rest a lot of these things that are no longer recommended and actually being active, walking 30 minutes per day is super helpful um, in the long run. Uh, Like I mentioned before, partner support, having that family support is crucial in patients that don't have that. You can see how it reflects on their mental health. You're stressed during your pregnancy. You're not eating well. It's just, it's not well for for the pregnancy, unfortunately. Um, So just making it a priority, you know, a lot of women work while they're pregnant. And that's very common, you know, and so I do see that they put their prenatal health on the back burner Mm -hmm. in regards to work as well. Not saying you can't work, but you have to listen to your body. If your body's, you know, let's say you're cramping, you've been up on your feet all day, you're a nurse, you gotta, you gotta advocate for your health to take those breaks, to get a bathroom break, to eat simple things that you think you, I wouldn't have to tell patients, you know, I I write letters for that. I write to, to employers to let the patient 
take a bathroom break and eat. It's kind of crazy that I have to do that, but it's, it's, it's hard. That is really crazy. I didn't think about yeah. that because I work in a corporate setting. So I'm and yeah. from home too. So I'm, I don't, that's something that I don't have to think about. That's wild. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. It's so make sure yeah. that you are really taking care of yourself. What are, yes. let's just go over what the things that you, you know, you don't really think about if someone's listening and it's perhaps the first Mm -hmm. time that they're really processing this, let's Mm -hmm. just go over, like, make sure you're doing this, make sure you're drinking X amount of water. Sure. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. So prenatal vitamins, first and foremost should be started ideally three months before you uh, want to conceive water, six to eight glasses a day. You're going to feel like you're drowning yourself in water, but water is so important in pregnancy and postpartum for breastfeeding. Um, walking 30 minutes a day is great. I get a question a lot where people will do, they'll have their exercise routines and they want to know if they can continue during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes. Assuming you're a low risk pregnancy and you don't have any complications like bleeding or cramping, you can continue to exercise in pregnancy. Um, sex is a question that comes up a lot. Um, sex is okay. Again, as long as you're low risk, no complications, you can be intimate with your partner. It's usually the partner that's scared. And the patient's not so much. So <laughs> you tell the partner, it's okay. <laughs> if that's what you guys want to do, go for it. Then I usually give a whole dietary guideline as far as, I mean, we can get really detailed here, but meats, cheeses, all of that stuff. There are certain restrictions in pregnancy mm-hmm. um, as far as like pasteurized cheeses and certain meats with risk of listeria and other types of bacteria that you really wouldn't think about and day-to-day life, yeah. you know, and, but then pregnancy is a game changer with that. Are those things that you should cut out three months in advance as well? No, okay. you don't have to cut that out. Yeah, no, that's fine. Just the prenatal is key. Okay. And then if you have other health conditions, of course, you want to make sure those are all taken care of any thyroid um, disorder, any hypertension, mm-hmm. if you have pre-existing diabetes, all of those types of things, you really want to make sure you're your healthiest self before conceiving because it does tend to get obviously more complicated with pregnancy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is kind of, I mean, it's great, but I think that oftentimes, maybe not often, maybe this is just because it's my story. Mm -hmm. Like we weren't trying. And then all of a sudden we were, and yeah, I had never even taken a prenatal and then yeah. 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 And that happens. Absolutely. That happens a lot, you know? And so what I would say and it's fine. Listen, if you didn't take a prenatal three months in advance, <laughs> the baby is you, you have a beautiful baby. The baby is going to be fine. But that's the best case scenario is to take it three months in advance. Love that. All right. Back to my <laughs> scheduled questions here, Jackie. Sure, sure, um, sure. So we've talked a lot about partner support. What yeah. are some ways that women can get their partners more involved or supportive during pregnancy? Because mm-hmm. I know that a yeah. lot of times it's... um. I mean, it's just different for guys, right? Like they're not mm-hmm. the ones feeling the baby's kicks and movement. And, you know, you're the one who you're over the toilet throwing up and you're very much like oh, right. becoming a mother. And I think, yeah, I'm totally projecting this onto men. I'm not a man. I don't know what's going on in their mind, but I think that it could be easy to just kind of be like, it hasn't quite hit yet. Right. 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 So I absolutely love when partners come to prenatal visits, mm. like during the pandemic, we weren't letting partners come in the office, which a lot of places were. You've heard of the hospitals that didn't allow partners, which is yeah. insane to me to birth without a partner. But 
so when we didn't have them in the office versus when we now have them back in the office, the whole demeanor of the patient changes, like the whole dynamic changes because it's, it's a, a life event between them that you're a part of as a provider. Right. So I love having them in the office. Um, but I think as a partner, you, um, need to be supportive and just listen. Right. I feel like women, it's a lot. I don't know if you felt the same way during your pregnancy, but even though you want the pregnancy, even though you've imagined it, it's very overwhelming yeah. to go through all of the symptoms to just, you know, plan ahead that you're going to be a parent. And so I think just listening, um, making your partner feel heard and being supportive of all their mood swings and cravings and everything they might be feeling um, during pregnancy. And then as far as labor goes, there's a lot of interventions that partners can be supportive of as well. Um, you know, massage, there's different interventions, uh, music, just being mm. present, breathing with the patient, taking yeah. the time to take the education course with the patient and understand what she's about to go through is really helpful. Yeah, that is really good. Shoot. I just, some question just popped into my brain and now I don't remember it. It's okay. <laughs> That's normal. Baby brain. <laughs> yeah. Postpartum. Ends. Oh, I think I was going to say, um, like it's so challenging and exhausting. And I just keep thinking like, I, I didn't have a kid already. And so now I'm yeah. almost like terrified to get pregnant again. Cause I'm like, I'm going to have to deal all of that on top of mm-hmm. actual mothering already. Yes. It's a totally different beast. <laughs> Patients will be like, well, I don't understand why I'm so tired, you know? And I wasn't like this with my first baby. I'm like, your little two-year-old is sitting right here. You have a two-year-old, yeah. you know, you're busy. You can't take those naps. And it's, it's, it's a totally different, but I'm it's scared. doable. <laughs> it's doable. I'm not trying to scare you away from it. It's doable. <laughs> One of the biggest game changers for your postpartum recovery is, well, two things. One, eating nutrient-dense, healthy food that serves you well in postpartum. And two, resting which means you taking the time off from cooking, which is why I believe Nourish is the postpartum game changer you need as it addresses both of those points in one. Nourish Meal Delivery offers anti-inflammatory, allergy-free, organic postpartum meals right to your door. Their ingredients are washed with electrolyzed ionized water, ensuring the highest quality. They use galactagogues, try saying that three times fast, to boost milk production and nurture lactation and manage sugar levels with herbs to speed healing after childbirth and throughout your postpartum journey. I will yell about how awesome Nourish is from the rooftops. But don't just take my word for it. Head to nourishmealdelivery.com to learn more. The link is in the episode show notes for your convenience. All right. <laughs> Next question. Um, talking about your birth plan. Now we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, um, but I do want to cover what are the things that you should include on your birth plan in your opinion, from what you've seen, from Mm -hmm. what you've heard. Yeah. What are some go-to items? So in general, I mean, just to start off with, if you are, you want to have this birth plan presented to your provider in advance, but it's also a useful tool to take Mm. with you when you go to um, the hospital or your birth center in labor. Very rarely do we have patients go to the, uh, a different hospital, whether it's because they live closer to another one and they feel it's an emergent situation um, or a provider they're not familiar with is going to be delivering them. It's really important that they have their birth plan there and you have your due date on there. You have your intended route of delivery, right? This, we, my provider and I discussed the vaginal delivery. That's what we had planned or versus 
a VBAC versus a cesarean. Um, these are my health conditions. And this is any pertinent medical information mm. during the pregnancy. You know, um, one in particular, just a side note is something called GBS, group beta strep, which is tested for at 36 weeks pregnant. If you do have that, you have to be um, administered uh, IV antibiotics during labor. So that's really crucial for a provider to know, especially if you go into the birth center or hospital in labor um, versus waiting to obtain medical records from your provider that could take a little bit longer. Um, but going back to the birth plan, um, you want to have on there different interventions you can anticipate in labor, right? As simple as IV placement, you know, a lot of patients don't want an IV, which is a hard a hard thing to go around in a hospital setting, right? Uh, uh, from a medical perspective, we want an IV placed in case of an emergency uh, cesarean, right? Or in case of an emergency where baby's not doing well in labor. So the workaround or the compromise could be, okay, I agree, you know, I'll have the IV placement, but doctor, nurse practitioner, can we not have continuous IV fluids running all the time? So I can be mobile around the labor room or mobile around the okay. birth unit, you know, things like that. Um, pain management, of course, is huge. You want to know the pain management options available to you, whether that's just IV pain medication, epidural. Um, some providers have stipulations about how far along you need to be dilated to get an epidural, which I'm kind of like, eh, well, I don't really love that, but I have seen providers do that. Um, Another question I, to ask them at that appointment. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Do I have to be at least four centimeters dilated to get an epidural? Can I get it whenever I want, you know? Um, is other questions you want to know is, is basically a hospital policy regarding baby care, postpartum care, right? Is the baby going to go to the nursery or can the baby room in with me? Okay. Um, baby's okay. first bath. There's so much to consider, you know, baby's first bath, breastfeeding. Do I get an option to breastfeed within the first hour, which is crucial to breastfeeding for the long term, you know, and baby yeah. bonding. So a lot to consider and a lot of Again, it's just bringing up like you would never think to ask these questions if you're not in the medical field, which I can totally understand. But having that birth plan laid out for you and saying, oh, gosh, I never thought I would ask that. Let me let me see, you know, yeah. do, do the hepatitis B vaccine in the hospital or did I get, to, get that from my pediatrician, you know? Okay. I never thought about bringing it prior. I like yes. that. Yes. That's really smart. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, just, I just like brought it yeah. on the day of. Yeah. So that's smart. Well, I'm happy you had a birth plan. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we waited. Yeah. The most important thing to me on that entire birth plan was that we were waiting to know the gender. Like we didn't know the gender oh. and it like it all bold. It was like Matthew, <laughs> my spouse, like will announce the gender. Oh, and that was like the cute. only, really the only thing I cared about. And each time there was a, or a shift change yeah. or whatever, yeah. I would be like, you know, in a contraction, like, but he's giving out the gender. Yeah. <laughs> be the gender. So, That's so cute. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, uh -huh. I, I feel like, I mean, I, during my labors, I watched the fetal monitor the entire time, which is probably not recommended. <laughs> but see, that makes sense because you're medical. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like, to me, I didn't even know, like, I was like, I, yeah. can't this. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mean. No, that's the best way to go about it from that aspect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should try like um a home birth or a oh my gosh a birth center birth whatever then you won't even have those exactly just, that'd probably be more stressful like, let it be honest yeah, with you <laughs> I know I know it, that's why it's just so it depends on like your personality, your personality. Exactly, and exactly where you're gonna yeah 
Yes. All the things. Yes. And I would say, I, listen, I'm, I'm very pro hospital. I came from being a nurse in labor and delivery. And that's just, that's just how yeah. we work here in Miami. There's not a lot of birth centers here. So I, I am not opposed to birth centers, but I just think that if you do go to a birth center, you want to know who their backup is, like who is the mm-hmm. provider and what is your relationship with them? And if this birth at home or in this birth center goes a little bit sideways, what's the protocol in getting me to an operating room with a provider that I can meet? You know, that's what I would say in that regard. Now, regarding that birth plan, regarding laboring, how how can one be the best possible advocate for themselves during birth? Yeah. So I think just the more you know, right, not that you need to be a medical provider, but the more you know, the more you can advocate for yourself, right? Uh, just for example, let's say you need an induction um, or your provider, let's say your provider suggesting an induction at maybe 39 weeks, one week prior to your due date. There are cases where that's positive and cases where that's not. And you want to be able to advocate and say, actually, no, it's my first baby. I'm low risk. I have no complications. I'd like to actually wait till my due date. That's a completely reasonable request or even past your due date even is fine too. You know, 41, 42 weeks at the most usually is is protocol and, and standard. Um, just knowing when to advocate as opposed to being like, oh, okay, this is what my doctor says. Not that you want to be confrontational, but you want to understand the logic behind it because unfortunately that's that's how you yeah. have to be uh, in order to advocate for yourself and the best outcome, you know? Yeah. An induction of labor, if you're if it's your first baby at 39 weeks, may not be ideal um, depending on on how that induction is done, just as an example. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no. And that, and I think it's so easy to be like, I mean, coming from someone not in the medical field, yeah. it's so easy for someone like me to be like, well, they're a doctor. They know it's best. Yeah. And if I need to be yeah. induced at 39 weeks, like, okay, sign me up. Yeah. Right. So, right. so where do you go about finding what you need to know? Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. let's say like, here's the deal though, right? If if this woman walks into her 39 week appointment and the doctor says, we need to induce you mm-hmm. in three days or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever right. we need, right. you need to get induced. Right. Where does that woman, woman go to be like, is this legit or is it not? Yeah. So there is the, um, ACOG American uh, college of obstetrics and gynecology that sets basically guidelines as far as what constitutes an elective induction, like Mm, elective, meaning that there's no medical reason behind it versus a medical induction where you have diabetes, high blood pressure. A lot of those things might warrant earlier delivery. Um, and don't get me wrong. A lot of women do elective inductions because they get to 39 weeks and they're like this and I'm, 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 you know, calling it. I want to have the baby. And (laughs) as long as you, the thing is you want to be on the same page as your provider. Right. Mm -hmm. And if, if, as long as you understand the reasoning and you are okay, okay. Yeah. You explained it to me. Yeah. I'm agreeing to that. Perfect. You know, but okay. just sometimes being told something and doesn't allow you to be your best advocate if you don't understand why it's happening. Now, when you're going through having to advocate to yourself, speaking yeah. from a yeah. or coming from a medical provider, mm-hmm. what are what are some phrases? What are some things that we can just quickly like rattle off that doesn't come off perhaps as like mean to the provider? Like you're saying like how to advocate without coming off confrontational in a way. Yeah. 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 
No, I, I, well, I personally don't take it that way when patients ask me, I, I actually like it. Mm, <laughs> it's like, okay, you've done your hear. due diligence, you've, you've looked into this stuff, you know, and, and they're happy um, for me to educate themselves, to educate them, because I could literally ramble on during prenatal visits, and I have to back off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, basically, you know, the, the patient can just be like, let me help me to understand when I can have an elective or what happens if I get to my due date and nothing happens. Like, what what does it look like? You know, what do I, what do I do if I start to contract? Just a lot of the basic questions are still an unknown for a lot of patients. Like the difference between Braxton Hicks contractions, false labor, and real contractions. Yeah. What do I do if I feel questionable leaking? What do I do if I don't feel my baby move ten movements in two hours? Um, what does it mean when they do a vaginal exam and they ramble off three numbers at you? What does that even mean? You know? Um, so just a lot of things that you can ask, um, that I think a lot of providers just may not, honestly, a lot lot of providers may not think to explain either. You know, we do this every day. So a lot of the more what's common sense to us obviously is not common sense to the general population. And just, we have to sometimes be reminded of, Oh, Hey, yeah. Like, you know, let me explain that, what that means to you, you know? Yeah. Um, that's the other thing. Uh, no, that's really good. Now, mm. (laughs) kind of back to the birth plan. Um, actually my last question for you, Jackie, what are some things that women don't consider or plan for regarding childbirth that they should? I know we've kind of talked about this mm-hmm. throughout, yeah. but I guess to summarize it like in one response, mm-hmm. what are some things that women don't consider? Um, I think they don't consider the possibility of cesarean and they don't consider the toll that postpartum mm-hmm. can take. So we all, you know, we do the the baby shower, we get all the stuff for the baby, we plan the nursery, we do all the things for delivery, what we want in labor, and then like the ball gets dropped postpartum, right? And so if you can set up a meal train, if you can make meals in advance, if you can lay out ground rules for when you want family to visit without being three days postpartum exhausted and not wanting to insult your family if they want to come see the baby. And that's not something you're into, you know, laying all that out to reduce stressors postpartum is really important as well as verbalizing any type of baby blues, postpartum depression symptoms. Like it's so common and everyone feels that stigma with verbalizing that to their partner, mm-hmm. to their partner, to their provider. Um, but it's so common. So I just, think that if you suffer from anxiety or depressive symptoms in pregnancy, you have to develop a relationship with a mental health therapist in advance because it's very hard to find one postpartum and you don't want to be scrambling for someone um, at that time. Your OB, your, you know, your OBGYN is, is a great resource to begin with if you're feeling those symptoms, but definitely postpartum care is lacking. Yeah. What are some of those symptoms that we can mm-hmm. be aware of? So typically baby blues happens in the first two weeks postpartum, you know, you'll be very hormonal, be crying a lot. Um, you'll, you'll feel those moments of sadness, but it's quickly resolved. You know, it transitions into postpartum depression when it affects um, you caring for yourself, not wanting to get out of bed, having more like apathetic feelings towards life. And of course the most severe features are having suicidal thoughts or thoughts of hurting your child, which some patients get offended when I ask them, but it, it's not you, honestly. This is when you have postpartum depression, it, it's 
It's not something you control. People feel guilty feeling this way. It's not that they intend to feel this way. And so you have to be honest with how you're feeling because we don't treat it um, in advance. It can spiral very quickly, you know? Yeah. Okay. Those are good warning signs to be aware of as women are like going into, um, going into the fourth trimester here. Exactly. Yep. Now, all right. Um, I guess my last question officially for you, Jackie, this has okay. been so beneficial. Thank you no so way. much for coming on. No, thank you. Um, how can people find you? Yes. So um, I'm on Instagram at Perfectly Pregnant Collective. And then the course, uh, you can either enroll through in the course through there or at perfectlypregnantcollective.teachable.com. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Learning to Mom podcast. Don't forget to sign up for the Learning to Mom newsletter by going to the episode show notes below, and I will talk to you next week.